This is Connor Kreiss, and you're listening to Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring. Uh, pro tip, sometimes conversations with Kaylee go off the rails, so you get to listen to that, along with some great guests from the romance audiobook community. So stick around for more than one eargasm, or don't, or do whatever you want. This was Kaylee's message to you. Whatever, Connor Crace. Welcome to episode six of Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring. I could not be happier to present this interview with superstar voice actor Emily Muzeller. She's such a cool person and she is a multiple award winning narrator. As of the first week of November, when you look up her titles on Audible, it returns 480 results. She narrated my book, Attachment Theory, along with Zachary Weber and a full cast of actors. She has won Sova's Voice Arts Awards, an Audi Award, Independent Audiobook Award, over 15 Earphones Awards, and last year, Audiophile Magazine named her a Golden Voice. So she's slumming it with me, but I'm thrilled to be able to introduce her to you if you're one of my fans and you've never heard her before. Or if you're a fan of Emily's and you're listening to this, I am so sorry you have to hear my ridiculous voice. But we had a great talk, and after the interview, you'll hear a clip of her performance from Attachment Theory, which just released on Audible a few hours after we spoke. So here's me and Emily. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Sure. Um, are you on the West Coast right now? You live in Hawaii now, right? Yes, I live in Hawaii. And I also spend a fair amount of time in LA, both. Okay. So I well, kinda... I just, I, so it just, it sounds so ideal and idyllic. <laughs> like I haven't been to Hawaii since I think 2014, I think. And I need to get back. It's like every time you go there, it's like, why do I not come here every year at least like but is it as stress-free to live there as it is to visit no it's <laughs> no. a little different yeah okay. of course of course I mean that's why you asked the question right like something yeah. in you tells you that it's well, probably not true I mean look it, it is it is really beautiful there and I love I love living there but you know I live uh on um on a part of the island that is really 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 rainy okay. um so it's not just like white sand beaches and Mai Tais all the time. It's like yeah. jungle, rainforest, and everything that goes with that. So a lot of molds oh. and rot and rust and ah. high cost of living and sure. high cost of food and needing to replace things a lot and needing to repair <laughs> things a lot. Um, <laughs> So, but yeah. just basically being a homeowner is what you're saying. Right. It's being a homeowner in an, an area that has a lot of weather. Wow. Yeah. That's what's yeah. so crazy. And not a lot of resources because everything oh, okay. has to be flown or shipped in. It's so remote. options for, okay. for people to do or things, appliances, you know, to replace right. things are, are very, very limited. Well, so I'm just wondering, is it, are you there because you do a lot of work for Asian companies as well as North American? Like, that's actually really smart. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> would, that would be a good reason, but it is not a reason. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, no, I'm there because I just, my, my family would go back and forth to visit a lot when I was a kid. Oh. And I just felt a real connection to the island, um, or to the islands. And when I was shopping around for a place to live that was not one of the mega cities, um, it kind of made the most sense. I had been on the East Coast for a long time at that point. And yeah, I lived in um, I lived in Rhode Island for one year, and then I lived in New York for seven years. Nice. Um, And I just missed being around a lot of Asian food and Asian people yeah and like obviously you can get that in California Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to be in a city environment anymore so it was like okay well where can I go that without moving back to Asia again like where could I go that has that and really Hawaii was the only place um, so you did live in the country for a while Uh, yeah I lived in Hong Kong for a couple years oh you did I actually Mm -hmm. lived I lived in 
Beijing for two years when I was a kid because my um, my dad worked for the Canadian embassy there oh. for two years, and so we would go to Hong Kong. Going like this was you know before China really opened up, and so yeah, you go to you go to Hong Kong to like buy bubble gum and watch right. <laughs> cartoons right. and stuff right. like that. And right, right, get all the too. movies so, and yep, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Wow, but Hong Kong, I mean. Oh, such a high density place, and I mean, it's a lot like New York, but even more densely populated. And yes, insane. yes, exactly. And even more human. Yeah, I had, <laughs> even more human. Right. Shocking. I'm like New York summers. You got nothing. Yeah. God. <laughs> Singapore, Hong Kong. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went to Singapore once too. Yeah, I did a, a swing dance camp there. Um, okay, I'm so glad you brought this up. Actually, I mean, I want to talk to you about this, but I actually, uh-huh. there's, so, so you're a big deal award-winning voice actor, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but you're, you're new to some of my listeners because you don't, you don't do a lot of romance, at least not any romance, and I wanted to have one of my usual narrators give me a quote to introduce you to my fans. So oh, okay. here, here is what your good friend Teddy Hamilton said. He oh. said, Emily Wuzeller is one of my favorite narrators to listen to, to work with, and to play with exclamation point. We never, we never got around to her teaching me how to swing dance before she moved away, but it's still on my bucket list. So I thought, what an intriguing quote. <laughs> Tell me about the swing dancing. Yeah, Teddy is awesome. Yeah, awesome, he's awesome. the nicest man alive. How did you get to know Teddy? Did you meet at one of those narrator mixers? Just how? Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. We were both in LA at the time and um, just part of the industry. And we got paired together on a number of different projects um, using another uh, alter, alter ego. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we just kind of got to know each other over the years that way. But yeah, so uh, I, I was supposed to teach him swing dancing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We never, we never got it together because Right when we were about to actually schedule something, the pandemic hit. And then it was like, oh, oh is wow. it weird to be meeting? Yeah. So, yeah, that's how that timing that's worked out. Very inconvenient. But so there is a swing dancing scene in Hong Kong. I know there's one in L.A. So I used to yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there is one in Hong Kong. Um, so the story around that is I, when I was in middle school and high school, I did competitive ballroom dance. So I competed in, um, you know, standard and Latin waltz, quick step, foxtrot, tango, and then um, samba, rumba, cha-cha, jive, and um, <laughs> everything. So then, <laughs> well, when I, I think I was just shy of of the absolute championship level, which in, would include oh Paso Doble and um, uh, Viennese Waltz. So I didn't, oh I didn't do those two, but <laughs> so for anybody who's listening, who knows about ballroom dance, I did most of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, am I going to be able to use that sound for Emily Wuzeller? And I picked my moment. <laughs> she was not absolute champion level people. <laughs> yeah just pre, pre pre-level championship but um yeah I competed for years and then um I that world was not for me uh and I by my senior year in high school I was like listen I want out I can't handle <laughs> these people anymore so uh when I went to college um I actually majored in dance ended up majoring in dance and performance studies um and right. for fun, I would go and take classes at like the local YWCA. And, uh-huh. and then when I was old enough to go to um, swing clubs and salsa clubs, I did. Uh, yeah. So that was how I kind of kept it up, but didn't have the competitive aspect of it, you know. Um, and the classes that I would take at the Y were like capoeira and west african dance and um you know things like this so i've always just had a very strong interest in a variety of dances and movement um and i did wushu i was part of the wushu team in california and at berkeley um 
Yeah, I actually directed the 13th annual tournament that we hosted there. We had the Hong Kong Bay Wushu team come and perform for us wow. opening ceremonies. Yeah. Did you have um, did you have like drummers or anything like that? No, we didn't have any drummers, but they had their own like music CD that we put in for them to okay. perform to. But um yeah, so that dance has always been a very very strong track in my life. Um and it was my primary focus for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. So everywhere I've gone, I've always looked for swing dance and that's your way into the city kind of. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, so in Hong Kong, I happened to move there right when, um, uh, a woman named Karen was trying to drum up some interest in swing dance. And Mm. I, I went to an event and I think there were like maybe four or five of us there. And she was like, hey, do you want to be part of like the Hong Kong Swings Club? And I was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, she's still going. I think they, they well, since the pandemic, I don't know what's going on now. But they, yeah. she, you know, it, that was a while ago that I lived there. And she was going for at least 10 years. Um, and funnily enough, you mentioned Beijing. Um, yeah. Adam Lee, uh, who is also a swing dancer and a uh, big band extraordinaire. He's a music extraordinaire. Um, he was in Beijing at the time and he was spearheading the Beijing swing dance scene. Oh, wow. And I never went up there, but he would come down and kind of do like some exchanges and, you know, all of us in this fledgling uh, little pockets of, of swing dance would go to uh, a swing dance camp that was hosted mm. in Singapore. So oh, we did wow. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is fantastic. <laughs> so do you, I mean, you need a partner for swing dancing. Um, do you, or you do not? Well, they're there when you show up. Yeah. You just <laughs> partner up and nice. Yeah. I mean, um, some people do have regular partners, um, but you don't need one. To, you don't need to show up with one. Um, as long as there are enough people who are there to dance, okay. um, you're good. Yeah. And you always, you always got to wear that skirt. Right? <laughs> Actually, a- I have never worn a skirt when I'm swing really? dancing. Yeah. I don't think I ever, ha- may- maybe once okay. if I was wearing booty shorts underneath, but yeah, no, I'm almost <laughs> always in pants. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I think it's well, fantastic. I remember, I think swing dancing was like really kind of just starting to hit in LA when I first moved there. Um, yeah. When was that? It was in, in the nineties. I mean, this was like uh-huh. after Swinger, the movie Swingers yep. came out. Yep. And so yep. that place in Griffith Park, I can't remember the name of, uh, not Griffith Park, but like in Las Feliz, you know, that place that they had swing dancing. Oh, man. oh really so oh, I would Asia. use I used to go to the Masonic Temple in Pasadena oh, okay. and um, Orange County has a lot of spots in the in the late 90s and early 2000s um, is when I was starting to get into swing dance there okay. uh, and and you're right there totally was a resurgence after swingers yeah um, and dovetailing with that was um, Frankie Manning came back into the scene so he was a big deal he actually like performed with hell's a poppin and all that back in the day and then like stepped out of the scene to have a family and do Mm -hmm. that thing and then (laughs) in his later years his twilight years came back in to teach I actually was able to take a class with him um before he passed yeah and oh man talk about being in the presence of giants and majesty he was amazing but yeah so he he came back to teach in around that time I didn't take class from him then I took class from him much later but um yeah so there was a place called memories in Anaheim um Mm. there's a big ballroom in Irvine there are lots of there's lots of places that that do swing dance here in LA yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. So anyways, at some point a while ago, I guess I looked you up on Instagram and I thought, she looks like she could be one of my cousins. And that was like enough, <laughs> that was enough of a reason for me to cast you. But so I, I had 
my producer book you for attachment theory like a year ago, I think. And, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like all the way up until I found out that you had actually uploaded your files, I was terrified that you would realize what a horrible mistake you'd made and try to get out of your contract. <laughs> but it's your Emily fucking Wu Zeller. Like, did anyone, did anyone warn you about what you were in for with a Kaylee Lauren book or did you just go in blind? Um, I went in blind. Okay. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think Random anything idea. of it. I, I was not nice. like, no, it was great. And I don't know what you're talking about. It was, a, it was fantastic. <laughs> I had so much fun. I'm like, what, what, what? <laughs> it was, My it books was great. Are pretty I, goofy, but, um, so yeah. I had actually, I, I actually first heard your voice when I listened to the Marie Kondo book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying uh. Up. And this was probably back in 2017. But at the time uh-huh. when I was listening to it, I thought it was Marie Kondo narrating. And then I listened oh. to I listened to your interview with my friends Kim and Mo on the Audibly Addicted podcast. And uh-huh. I looked up your uh-huh. credits. And that's when I realized it was you. But I just I remember that you like really captured her sort of quirky and obsessive personality. So I'm I'm wondering like did you magically change your life through tidying up after reading that book at all? Or- <laughs> Um, it did, I did change some things about the way I live. Yeah, for sure. Um, but (laughs) I didn't take everything to heart. I didn't like hire her to come in and and clean up my house or anything. She's very extreme, (laughs) which she kind of have to be to be that huge in any area. You have to be super obsessed and stuff like that. But well, anyways, when I cast you, I knew, I I knew I was finally going to write a half Chinese heroine because I'm half Chinese for anyone who doesn't know, but I also knew um, even a year ago that I'd be writing a mom character who had issues with letting go of belongings because that's something that my Mm -hmm. own mother, um, I I won't say that my mother struggles with it because she doesn't think she has any issues. So she struggles with nothing, which must be fantastic. But, oh um, my god! But, but I, oh I, I yes, guess, exactly. Like, what does that even feel like? But um, but I guess I thought it would be kind of funny in a very inside joke kind of way that you would narrate the narrated the Marie Kondo book, and then I totally forgot about that all the way up until the moment I wrote a reference to Marie Kondo, and I was like, wow, I wonder if Emily if Emily doesn't drop out of this project, I wonder if she'll think that's funny. Did you like even stop? I and did. Think? <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Um, whenever, whenever that does happen, because it it was such it was such a big book, right? So it was, um, yeah. it's a, it's a part of the the cultural zeitgeist, I guess now. So yeah, especially when it when it, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So when it does come up in a book, I'm always like, hmm. <laughs> 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 and then I go on. <laughs> like that's You're cool. part of the zeitgeist. I, I did that one, yeah. Yeah. And and so I, I also listened to The Bride Test by Helen Wong, mm. of course, which I'm sure is how most romance listeners know of you. And that won an Earphones sure. Award and was nominated for an Audi. And it's it's a, yep. it's also a very prominent book with a really unique storyline. Were, were you just like offered that job? Like, how did that come to you? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like any other any other job I've been doing. I've been doing audiobooks since 2009, um, and I've been doing full-time audiobooks since 2012. Um, So I guess we're going on nine years now for full-time. So, you know, I work with uh, dozens of publishers and producers, and um, Dreamscape just uh, said, hey, we've got this one that we think you'd be good for. You want it? And I said, yeah, sure. I don't often do romance, but sure, let's do it. So, had her first and I'm, I'm so glad I did. It was a yeah. great, it was a really sweet story. Not just a good story and like good protagonist stuff, but it was, yeah. you know, she, she wrote in these scenes that were like, oh my God, I've never yeah. gotten to narrate something where somebody talks about like the Chinese banquet at the restaurants uh-huh. that was so a part of, yeah my life yeah, and so too. many of right yeah exactly mm-hmm. like our lives you never see that and it's just mm-hmm. like I actually got teary when it did you because it was like yeah it was just like being seen to it was just recognize like part of your life in this story yeah 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 it's like often. oh my god that's a real thing real life people mm-hmm. don't know about this 
Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people read it and listened to it, so it's pretty. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you, so you mostly do solo narration of like general fiction and sci-fi and nonfiction for the big publishers, right? And you, like your work has won so many awards, it's almost comical. <laughs> you're, you're in like the Narrator's Hall of Fame, basically, right? The Golden Voice. Award yes, I'm a, I, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's I a do have a Golden deal. Voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. I've been lucky because um, my uh, entry point to the industry was that I have, you know, that I speak Chinese and that I have some facility with um, some of the other East Asian languages. Um, so I've gotten, because, so I've gotten to do a bunch of different genres um, because of that, because it's not just like, you know, you have the voice for thriller or you have the style for a thriller or something mm. like that. It was like, well, I mean, there's, there's a need for people or there was, I guess there's, there still is, but there's a lot more players now at the time. Yeah. There were not a lot of people who um, could speak and could read and could right. translate basically, or could um, uh, authentically represent what was being written in the texts yeah. so I got to do you know books about business and academics and mm. historical fiction and contemporary fiction and sci-fi and fantasy and YA and memoir and self-help and 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 you know so wow. I got to really cover um, a lot of that but it's only been re really recent and I think you're right that Helen Huang is, is a, a big marker yeah um as the beginning of this kind of new wave of uh, Asian American stories showing up in romance in particular. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of that. I had, I thought about, I was like, Oh, do I want to use my pseudonym because it's a romance book? And then I was like, you know what? No, no, I, I have this, first of all, I'm not ashamed or whatever you know not yeah. that people who use pseudonyms are ashamed. It's just, I don't, I don't have any reason to try to differentiate from love and sex and and the, yeah. those topics from my yeah. other the rest of my life yeah so and I have this body of work behind me that I think actually benefits the mm -hmm. authors who are doing yeah. romance yeah. and so I was like yeah no I'm gonna this is this is my name that's doing this yeah. and I'm happy to support the authors who are like you who are writing Thank this you. stuff so it's cool yeah um yeah. So, so you studied acting and dancing. Did you, and I guess voice classes were part of the curriculum? No. Studied? So they oh. not, they're not usually, oh, well, they might be now. I don't know. School was a long time ago, um, but <laughs> yeah. well, uh, the, the great thing about us is we'll never age. So. That's right. That's right. Until we're like 60 and then we'll age all at once. Right. Or more that's like 80. Works. I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. My mom is the same age as my dad, who's a white guy from Indiana, and she looks twenty years younger than him. So Yeah. I'm not yeah. <laughs> yeah, my dad's a white guy from Illinois. Oh, <laughs> very, very close. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, class, so no, yeah. the voiceover classes, <laughs> yeah. So I took those classes separately when I was living in New York, um, just as like workshop master class kind of thing. Oh, okay, but had you already started, um, like, did you already have opportunities for doing narration at that point, or did you sort of um, seek that out? Yeah, yeah, I had, I okay. had. So after I graduated from college, I moved, that was when I moved to Hong Kong. When I was oh. in Hong Kong, at first I was teaching dance and uh, and doing, you know, theater shows, but Fairly quickly, I managed to get an audition and um, get the job that was a full-time job doing anime, um, oh, anime wow. dubbing. Yeah. So it was six days a week, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Oh and God. we were all just on hand and we did four episodes a day. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we did an entire season a week of various shows that would air on Animax Asia. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And um, so that was really, that was my real training. That was my boot camp because sure. it was like, 
here are thousands of characters, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in a bunch of different shows, and it, it you know, I, I'd also, I was a singer, so oh, you were okay. vocal, vocal range was something that mm-hmm. I had, um, but it, it taught me some specifics, um, and and uh, certainly sharpened my skills in terms of timing and mm. and energy that's required for voiceover and all that stuff. Um, right. So yeah, so when I came back to the States, I had that experience under my belt, but because I had done it in Hong Kong, they were not happy that I left and there was no, you know, union whatever there. And yeah. I did not get any good um, copy of anything that I'd done. So I had to build a completely new demo from scratch. Um, But I had heard about um, uh, BBC Audiobooks America opening up, being open to people sending demos in. And so I did. And I did a handful of books with them in Rhode Island before Mm -hmm. I then moved to New York. And so when I moved to New York, right, I I was also, you know, doing theater and and whatever, but and so voiceover was one track that I was also pursuing. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to get serious about this, I need to take some classes. So I did, and that's between that and then networking and and et cetera. That's yeah. when I was able to make the switch over into full time narration. Yeah. Wow. So so, what is your typical? work week like now like you don't have a home studio it sounds like uh I do actually oh, have do. a home okay. studio mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah I've uh for the most part I do prefer to work in studio I think it's more efficient I think it's better for everybody's the performance I think it's better for everybody's health I think it's better for the industry but um I also can appreciate the value of of having a home studio space so I, I like to do both um, but the typical, the typical work week, I, I, as people are, I think have learned from the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. when you work from home, you have to create some boundaries, um, <laughs> and, and some rules for yourself, which is an in and of itself a job, right? Like, yeah. um, yeah. So I have a separate space that is for work. Um, and I get dressed for work. I do not go to work in my pajamas as much as that's like a thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So people are starting, right. People understood it. Writers especially understand that, but the the folks who sort of romanticized what it is to work at home, I think Mm -hmm. are now starting to understand what the real limitations are there. And especially if you're somebody like myself who tends toward working too much, um, where I don't it's not natural for me to stop. And so I have to create the spaces for where I can actually relax and actually recover from performing to a vacuum for hours a day. Right. Right. Like that requires a lot of downtime and a lot Mm -hmm. of recovery time. Um, So, yeah. So I try to keep regular hours, you know, go in in the morning, get some admin done right away and then get into the booth, only sit for an hour at a time, take a break every hour to stretch, drink some water, pee. And then I do that for several hours. And then uh, I give myself a max that I can do in it. Cause I, I can push, but then it, the rest of the week is um, messed up. If I, if I push too hard because yeah. I just get exhausted. Um, I burned out a few years ago and Mm. I'm still recovering from that. So that, Uh, but that was a really good lesson. You know, it was just like, Hey, you know, mm -hmm. so yeah. So I give myself a, a, a strong end time every day and, you know, build in a little more admin and audition time Mm -hmm. at the end of that. Um, Do you have an engineer that you work with? No, I do it all by myself. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's another thing you had to learn then. Yes, yes. Directing your self-directing, mm-hmm. self-performing, and um, self-engineering, yep. and self-admin, and <laughs> independent business. Because mm-hmm. I don't have a manager or anything like that. I do have an agent, but mm-hmm. they're an agent for any uh, video game or animation or commercial work, which yeah. is 
not my bread and butter. That's really. Oh, it's not. Well, no. Tell, can you tell us about the video game that you do voice for? Because. Yeah. So um, I've done for a few, but oh. the biggest one, the biggest latest one was for Cyberpunk 2077. I was yeah. the voice of Pan Am for that, um, which was really super fun. Um, sure. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, audiobooks are, for me, are five days a week. Um, they're no longer seven days a week. And I've given right. myself weekends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to do Good that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but video games, I mean, and even for a game that was as big as that, it was, you know, a handful of sessions over the course of months. And I'm certainly not complaining to be, to have had the work um, yeah. or to be, you know, paid at SAG scale for it or whatever, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's not enough to like, there's no residuals involved with, yeah, yeah, yeah. with that kind of work. And um, it's not enough to, to pay the rent. Well, so, so, but do you just record one line at a time basically and do it a bunch of different ways? Like how do you technically yeah. do that? Yeah. Yeah. So you go into the studio for that there, um, there is a director and an engineer. Uh-huh. And they are critical um, because okay. the project is so big, right? There yeah. needs to be people who can, like we, the actors actually don't get the script. We are not given the script oh. um, because they don't want it to leak, which okay. is totally understandable. Sure, sure, sure. So one of the skills that you have to be adept at is is being able to interpret a script immediately and perform mm-hmm. a variety of things immediately you don't have time to sort of like think about it and you know sit with it and so yeah so you would you you when you're there then you see the lines the director is you know telling you what the scene is and you've worked with the director on dialing in what the character is or who the character is and then it's go you know you just take do several takes of each line and keep going well so so at at the point where when you're doing voiceover work, where are they at graphics wise in the project? Like, do you actually get to see what your characters uh, look like? No, or? no. So that you don't, I, I haven't had too many of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, the, certainly the final touches, but a lot of the animation actually comes later. Oh, okay. Um, which makes sense to me um, because then they can animate like around the the sound and the, the and the mouth you know yeah. right yeah and the pace exactly um but because i come from dubbing i actually would feel very comfortable in the other yeah. way um but not not a lot of people are it's it's a different skill right to be able mm-hmm. to match a timing and an energy based on an image as opposed to animating from within and then right the, the animation comes on top of that so yeah interesting so and mm-hmm. and you have a Star Wars connection, which we have to talk about because I tend to have at least <laughs> one Star Wars and Harry Potter reference in every book I write. Oh, so. okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I uh, Sarah Kuhn, um, who's another halfie. Really, <laughs> Hoppa Hoppa oh. chick. Yeah, really she's awesome. That. She wrote uh, an adaptation of Doctor Afra. And Penguin Random House, I auditioned for it, and they hired me for it. So I got to play Dr. Afra in an audio drama. I've also done a few like short story fan fiction. There was an anthology that was done, and I did a few of those stories. But the biggest one was was doing the audio drama for Afra. Yeah, that was super fun. So was that like a um, duet style thing? No, that was um, just a full cast. It was actually really similar to attachment theory, I think, yeah. in, in the style. Yeah. So yeah. it was a full cast and like actually for that one, it was highly produced. So there were um, sound effects and oh, cool. yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's somebody who plays, you know, a Darth Vader and uh, uh, what is it? Oh, I'm going to all of the characters. I'm not, I'm not going to. Yeah. There's a lot of them. <laughs> There are a lot of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's, let's talk about attachment theory. I honestly, so I honestly had no idea what to expect from your performance because as far as I knew, you don't do a lot of 
comedy, at least in narration. And I kept thinking, like, she sounds like such a chill person and she's going to think Scarlett's insane and she's going to know that I'm insane. And like, why can't I stop... <laughs> I can't stop writing about gophers and farts. So I just, at a certain point, I was like, and I kept messaging Jacqueline, the producer. I was like, she's going to hate this. And she's like, she's an actress. She'll do it. Just don't worry about it. And so halfway through, I was just like, okay, I'm going to do it. But like, you are just hilarious and perfect as Scarlett and Scarlett's Thank mom. You. And so cute as, as this little girl, Britta, which is a tiny little thing yeah. but now talking to you it totally makes sense that you've done all that voiceover dubbing for anime and stuff like that yeah. where you probably had to do a lot of little girl voices oh, but yeah um and I especially loved how you said fuck you Adam <laughs> so many times it was just so <laughs> perfect um oh thank you yeah it was a lot of fun thanks for writing it oh um, it was really yeah it was super cool um yeah, so I, I actually have done a fair amount of comedy, oh, and yeah, it's okay. one of yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Um, I love it when things can be lighthearted. I mean, you know, who doesn't love drama too? But um, yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's mostly the comedy stuff has mostly come up in like some of the self help books that I've done have been. Oh. Um, it's a lot of tongue in cheek, a lot of like sarcasm. And then some of the YA titles just tend to have like very oh, yeah, spunky yeah. characters or like yeah. spunky best friends who are really just, uh -huh. a, you know, acerbic. And so, yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, I love my job. It's, it's taxing and it's a yeah. job, <laughs> but I love it. I do yeah, love yeah, it yeah. Uh, because I get to do this, this full range of stuff all the time. Yeah. You're kind of living a lot of lives a little yeah. while anyways yeah. but um, yeah but I, I really loved how you voiced Scarlett's mom Evelyn Chan Shepherd so much and I told you in a message that it reminded me of a very dear friend of the family who was from northern China I think is that sort of what you envisioned mm -hmm. for her like was yeah. there anyone in particular that inspired that performance for you or? I mean I have all of my aunties and yeah you know, my mom did, I and I did Chinese folk dance for years. And so really? all the ladies that she would dance with and my dance teacher um, was actually Taiwanese Chinese. Okay. Um, but so she spoke Mandarin and yeah. at home we spoke Cantonese. So my okay. family's all Southern, um, but through, through, and and they're her people mm -hmm. I had the Mandarin connection and so okay yeah and you know just growing up in the San Gabriel Valley it was just yeah yeah, yeah. those those were who my elders were so yeah yeah I mean you just you gave her the energy of like every Chinese mom in my life and like all all Chinese <laughs> all Chinese moms have a really strong presence and I guess that's true of yes. a lot of ethnicities but like you know I have a lot of significant mom or aunt or grandma characters in my book so Evelyn fit right mm. in and like my own mom is she's actually not a force of nature like that I gave her some mm. aspects of my mom's personality but my mom is a really she's a really cute kind of quiet woman but mm. she's the, like she's the oldest of nine kids which is something mm -hmm. you get a lot in, in Chinese families so she's got yep. that big sister personality that kind of affects her way of relating to Absolutely sure. everyone. Like yeah. Mostly maternal, <laughs> as I think all Chinese moms. And you, you said in a message that Scarlett's parents kind of reminded you of yours a bit too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm hmm Yeah. I mean, when you were talking about like how you, your mom doesn't, doesn't have problems. She doesn't struggle yeah. with anything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine too. Yeah. They are, They're they just... are perfect. They, they, uh, they do not have problems. They, well, cause they've all like lived through shit usually in the homeland you know yeah. kind of it's just like well what is I mean you're complaining about like a bunch of uh -huh. stuff in your house well you know we yeah. were poor so right <laughs> like right that. yeah I mean right right and the, it's a real that's actually this is a very interesting topic of discussion that's really present in my life right now as yeah. my sisters and I are you know both of my sisters are married and they're having children and you know, so we're kind of unraveling for ourselves mm. what it is to have a new family now as, you know, we we were all born here, but my mom was not. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And I think this is true, maybe not just even for Chinese or East, even East Asian or even all Asian, but uh, possibly for anybody who's an immigrant coming yeah, yeah. to the U.S. Yeah. Um, that there is certainly a level of resilience, yes, yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. also trauma that yeah. never gets addressed um, or that there's no desire to address it. Um, right. And as Americans, those of us in the next generation, mm -hmm. we do have a desire to address that and, un yeah. and unpack it and yeah. we don't pass it on. But at the same time to like try to uh, retain some of that resilience, right? Um, so I don't know, that's, that's very present in a lot of discussions I'm having right now. So that's... Yeah, I remember when my mom read Angela's Ashes, you remember when that book came out about oh, wow. the Irish, she read that and she was just like, I just, I don't see what the big deal is because that's just what my life was like. I mean, you know, yeah, people, right. people right. were poor, people struggled, people died. That's just living, you know? Like, yeah. Why is everyone freaking out about this story? But, yeah, um, but exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. But anyways, yeah, like the whole production for Attachment Theory just came together so perfectly and it, it's infuriating to me that it's not the audiobook still is not live on audible yet um as of today but uh, so early oh really yeah they're holding it hostage kind of but um so early listeners Aww. though like who have the alcs absolutely mm -hmm. love it and i was completely thrilled by all of it but just really amazed by how great you and zach sound together like it just it really sounds like you recorded together in a room and it sounds like you have amazing chemistry both as Dylan and Scarlett, but also is Noah, who who is Scarlett's son, and right. like the performances, okay. the performances and the editing are just flawless. And I spoke with Zach on the weekend. He said that you guys have never talked to each other, and it's just no, it's so surprising <laughs> to me. And it just speaks to the level of talent and skill you both have. Like, are you are you aware of what Zach sounds like just as a narrator, or no, not really. <laughs> Yeah, no, not not really. <laughs> I don't know that he even did that much research with so me either. So he actually did. He said that he, um, to prepare for Attachment Theory, he watched some YouTube videos of you, um, something oh. about the video game. So I thought that was kind oh. of adorable. <laughs> and he also, he um, apparently followed you on, on Instagram after you guys were cast in my project. He's very sad that you aren't following him back because he kind of lives on Instagram. So Oh, <laughs> he's, he's a really, really sweet guy, and I'm sure you know he's also a really good friend of love Teddy's. But anyways, it, yes. uh, through the through yes. the magic of editing and and acting skills, it uh, it all came together so perfectly, and it sounded like it sounded like you're smiling a lot of the time. So that gave it a very flirty energy that I really liked. Nice, yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like when you're falling in love, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the beginning. <laughs> in the me. beginning, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you're falling Fuck off. you, Adam! Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I appreciated about attachment theory in particular and about stories that are in this style is that I get to deep dive into one character. And my only job is to portray that character in the most honest way and the most real way possible. Um, so, I mean, it sounds yeah. like Zach did the same thing. And so when you do that yeah. and you have yeah. writing that makes sense, which yeah. yours did, then it yeah. does sound natural and it flows. Yeah. So. No, it really did. It, uh, I couldn't be happier with it. Um, no, I, I'll let you go soon, but I actually, I saw on your website that you're a certified yoga teacher that mm -hmm. you minored in nutritional sciences. I love that. Mm -hmm. Cause like, you know, being a girl... <laughs> Being a girl in Hollywood, I just kind of got into yoga and nutrition because that's in the air in L.A. Yep. So did you teach yoga in Los Angeles? Like, uh, I taught mostly in New York while I was Oh, you there. did? Wow. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, growing up in L.A., it's, uh, it's kind of in the water. It too. really is. Yeah. So I, my sisters and I, or, or my, my sister and I, the, the oldest, um, mm -hmm. I'm the oldest of three. Oh, so yeah and me and my middle sister are only 18 months apart um okay. but she, and she's 
a model in Hong Kong oh. um, and has been for a really long time. But oh. when we were kids, you know, in the 80s, being little mixed kids in yeah. Los Angeles, we were scouted a few times. And yeah. my mom said, no, she said, no, you're not going to put my kids on TV. I'm not going to be mm-hmm. part of that. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually really grateful that she did. Sure, I could have, you know, maybe a trust right now or something. Uh-huh. I don't know. But even even without that direct exposure from a young age, um, I mean, I was performing a lot on stage with the Chinese folk dance group because we performed everywhere for Chinese New Year's and um, different festivals all throughout the year. Yeah. But that wasn't on TV. Like TV and film are its own beast. And yep. especially in the 80s and 90s, I think things are maybe starting to hopefully change now. But back then, um, it just... It was a very slim space that uh, literally <laughs> women had to be to fit into. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it, uh, yeah, I, I was. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't for me at the time. I mean, now, sure, I would. I would love to do a project. Um, well, but... I bet some opportunities will come up because you know, like I, I was a screenwriter in LA, and I, I didn't. Um, when I decided to quit screenwriting and do this like most or I would say almost everyone except for like three people that I know in LA know what my pen name is Kaylee Loring but there was um at the beginning of the year or maybe in the summer someone that a producer that I used to know who is an Asian American producer emailed me and she didn't know that I had like left Hollywood Uh, she was like uh so there's there's a bunch of like projects at Lifetime and um, the Hallmark Channel, and they're wanting to do um, Asian, Asian driven, Asian starring um, like holiday romantic comedies. And so she thought of me and asked if I would want to, you know, pitch something. And I was like, well, I'm not. And she was like, and it, and it would just be scale. It would um, like, like scale yeah. plus 10. And I was like, well, so I've already as a, I'm a novelist writing romance now and I've already made more money than I in the in this year's like half a year into 2021 <laughs> I've already made yeah. more money than scale than I ever would so I'm gonna pass but yeah. um but so I think that because of Kevin Kwan and because of um the success of uh like the Helen Huang books and the Kevin Kwan movie yeah. um I think it is affecting TV and what you're going to see on TV for a while. So I bet you, you will start to see. Yeah, well, at least at least for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, certainly my my colleagues and other small group of um, other Asian American actors that I knew in Hong, in uh, New York are getting more work now, which is great. Yeah, um, because they've yeah. been working so hard for so long yeah. and they're so talented and it's just like oh now there are just more opportunities for them to be seen so yeah. that's really awesome it's very cool yeah, yeah it's so funny that you talk about being scouted because that was something that happened to like I grew up in in Canada and I as mm. soon as I moved to LA like in my 20s like people will just stop you like when you when you're crossing the street and ask if you uh-huh. want a model for them and something like that. and honestly that was uh-huh. one of the other things that I thought when I saw pictures of you I was, I was like I bet we've been eye-boned by some of the same men in Los Angeles <laughs> at some point because you know I didn't realize until I moved to LA that I was a type you know like that right when I grew up it was just yes me Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. So I have a story about this, which as a Hoppa person, you're, you'll totally get and understand. Yeah. So yeah, when you're growing up as a, as a mixed person, you just, you never know, you've never known what it is to ha- be in a room full of people who look like you. They're just, yeah. it just doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. So that you never have that to work against. You're mm-hmm. just always just you. And if you're lucky and you have a supportive environment then you get to be very grounded in that and it's not an issue right it's not not super much anyway um but I've noticed with some people over the years friends of mine and and whatnot when they because they've grown up in environments that are the opposite where they mostly are around people who look like them um when they get into a space where they're not the majority it really throws them like really throws them Um, which is, uh, you know, the 
the basis for a lot of racism, frankly, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, what it's like to feel like an outsider because you felt like an insider your whole life. Whereas we've, a, a very common experience, I won't speak for you, but a very common experience is to be kind of an outsider, right? Like yeah, yeah. I identify very strongly with Chinese American culture because mm -hmm. my mom was such, such a heavy hand in that. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. Um, about her mm -hmm. and because we grew up around it it was just everywhere it's like I don't know where you were in Canada but Vancouver parts of Vancouver can be like that right well it's just yeah like, well so that's where I grew up but at that point it you know it was it wasn't it wasn't like this. right not at all yeah right right well so so I got lucky to have a very strong Chinese culture but I was always the the other kid right so it's like mm -hmm. yeah I spoke yeah, I knew how to act. And so all my mannerisms and everything and language and all of that was yeah. Chinese American. But if mm -hmm. you just looked at my face, it was a little bit different, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then because because it's, well, anyway, whatever. I don't need to get deeper into that. So there was, um, <laughs> there were two, the first time that I was ever, I ever saw people who kind of looked like me was in Hawaii. Mm, and yeah. um, it was a little bit of a shock. They were all, I was young enough that they were all older. So then it had that sheen of like, oh, adults who, yeah. you know, that's a, the future thing. And then the second time was when I was in college at Cal. Um, there was a mixed, it was at the time called Hoppa Club and then it changed to Mixed Student Union. But <laughs> one of my friends, they were doing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they were doing a, a, a co-event with um, the Taiwanese Student Union and one of my best friends is Taiwanese. And so she was like, oh, come to this thing, come to this thing. And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't want to be with the other mixed kids. They're all like fucked up in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any problems, yeah. right? I'm just, I'm just parroting what my mother says, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm 18 or something, right? Yeah. Like, what do yeah. I know? So I show up, I show up to this event and I, first of all, was greeted at the door by somebody who was Hapa and was just kind of like, okay, okay, there's somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen a handful of other Hapa people around. Sure. And then we get in, we walk in through the door. And I look around at this big pool hall, basically, that was filled with nothing but people who are Hapa. And... I oh. immediately started crying. Oh my God. I can't even imagine it, what that would be like. It was, I, I'm like getting teary thinking about it. Like yeah. it was just like, oh my God, this is what people feel yeah. all the time. Like yeah. they get to, it's just, it's like what you were saying, like, oh, you could be my cousin or you could be my sister yeah, yeah, yeah. or you could be like, like, I, yeah. So I forget what what got us into into this discussion, but well, it's uh, and well, because you mentioned the word outsider too, and that's I very much believe that that's why I'm a writer um, mm. because I've never felt a part. I've always felt like an observer mm -hmm. um, because I was never, you know, both feet in any culture. Right. I think right, um, yeah, sure, and I'm. And I'm actually fine with that. I'm really glad that happened. My mom, my my parents are both um, professors, and they would, uh, you know, review. Oh, okay. They would both review academic texts for, um, you know, these academic journals. And my mom reviewed this book. I can't remember what it was called, but it was actually about. Um, it actually profiled half Chinese female authors. And, oh wow! And sort of digging into why half Chinese yeah. women become writers um, because of that sort of outsider identity kind of thing, and so I found that very that is really interesting. interesting. But then I also wonder, like, there's also just some people are naturally inclined to do to be observers and sure. to do things like writing, right. Or like being performers. Cause like, mm -hmm. what about, what about the, the norm? I'm going to use that in quotations. Um, mm -hmm. this, the standard person who is a writer, why do they become the writer? Yeah. I don't know. I think it, yeah, it probably just feels more comfortable to communicate through 
words on a page. I mean, because I know that I, I, right. I think more clearly when I'm writing it. It doesn't matter if I'm handwriting or if I'm typing something. Mm-hmm. It just, I feel, I guess I feel safer in a way. Yeah. But also, okay. um, but if I'm, and that's just like communicating with people too. But, um, mm-hmm. but when I'm actually writing, it feels like channeling. And so it's, it's sort of a form mm. of meditation because that's kind of the only time in my life usually where I'm not second guessing myself or always wondering how other people are going to respond to me or something. Sure. Um, Not reactive. I guess it's the only time I'm not reactive. I'm just doing the thing. And it's a great way to, um, I mean, none of my stories, I put so much of myself into these books, Mm. but nothing is literally autobiographical, but it's like, it's, it's always me through the prism of other characters. And I think I'm stealing that quote from Tennessee Williams or something like that. But I think it's, <laughs> but I think it's something that that's what actors do too. Like I kind of feel like Absolutely. what I'm doing is like the mirror image of, of actors. Absolutely. You're using yeah. bits and pieces of yourself to show, to, you're showing your bits and pieces of yourself to other people, but it feels so much more comfortable to do it through telling the story of these other people. Yes, yes, um, exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, but that's also sort of why, like, in attachment theory, I didn't, I knew going into it, I didn't want the fact that Scarlett was half Chinese to be an issue at all. Yes, it's not, yes. Because I had actually read, I had read a, a romance novel a little while ago where and it was written by a woman who I'm pretty sure was not half Asian but there was like a half Asian heroine and, mm. and it wasn't really a source of conflict within the romantic relationship but in the subplot there was just so much conflict in her life and probably mm. because I grew up in in Canada where everybody is <laughs> polite mm. and if there is any racism <laughs> it's very very subtle and uh-huh. kind of behind closed doors but I just it just didn't ring true to me. So I just wanted it to be something kind of mentioned. And the fact, and you know, the fact that her mom is Chinese and that's kind of it. It's a part of who she is. But I didn't want to make a big deal about it because it doesn't, doesn't have to be right right no it is part of the norm you know exactly exactly yeah Yeah. and that's something I really appreciated about it too for sure yeah it doesn't have to be the centerpiece and even if there is a conflict that comes up once in a while it's something that comes up once in a while it's not a governing practice a governing element of of the identity it's yeah right because it's people only see that when they're seeing us as outsiders right it's like oh well it's it's usually like when it comes to men to speak frankly it's usually more of an issue like for me it's like if i get the sense that a guy is into me specifically because i'm half asian like i'm not going to date him there's just <laughs> no way and so i've never actually been in a relationship with someone where that was a thing and so yeah so when you're actually writing a romance novel about a relationship that's developing with people it just it doesn't Right. Just, uh, there are so many other reasons to have conflicts with someone. Like I was like, right. I have to this thing. <laughs> yes. Well, I really appreciate that. Well, I'm glad. Well, this has been a total delight, and thank you so much. Yeah, for, it's been for so great to talk time. to you. Yeah, I really, really loved it, and I'll let you get back to your your day. But um, but thank you again for finding for finding time, and I'll I'll play a clip probably of Scarlett and. Cool. Well, uh... keep doing what you do. (laughs) Good at it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I am (laughs) also. And thank you for casting me. Oh no! It was absolutely my pleasure, and you'll be back in uh, for a feature role in uh, in uh, in Miles Brody's book next year. So probably bring Evelyn Chan back too, and have like a little powwow between all the moms from that series. (laughs) Cool. Okay. Okay, well, have a great day. Have a great week. Thank you. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye. Okay, bye. Wasn't that a fun chat? I loved it. And here's a clip from Chapter 7 of Attachment Theory. So you can hear Emily Wuzeller as Scarlett and her mom, Evelyn Chan Shepard. 
Attachment Theory by Kaylee Loring is narrated by Emily Wu Zeller and Zachary Weber, featuring Teddy Hamilton, Jason Clark, Mackenzie Cartwright, Connor Grace, and Emma Wilder. I would insist on hiring a part-time nanny because I don't want to trouble her. But since I've known my mother my entire life and have never once been able to change her mind about anything she insists on, I've honored the traditional Chinese tradition of adamantly refusing her offer three times, even though we both know that I'm just being polite and that surrender is inevitable. But I can be stubborn, too, and I am not leaving here tonight until I have three full boxes to take with me, and we all know it, including Noah. If he wants to get home in time to get his science report done, he needs to help me pack things up. Of course, he doesn't actually care if he gets his science homework done or not, so he's no help to me at all. He and my dad are watching The Great British Baking Show and totally pretending not to hear my conversation with the great, lovely, and very strong-willed Evelyn Chan Shepherd. Again? What happened to the boxes I gave you yesterday, huh? I dropped them off at Goodwill on my way to work this morning. And there's still plenty of stuff in this house that you don't use and don't need to take with you to the condo. Bah! She waves her hand dismissively. You worry too much, Scarlet. Stop worrying so much. She's not wrong. I do worry too much. But she's also not right about everything. At least that's what I keep telling myself. She takes the boxes from me and places them by the front door. You need to relax. You drink too much coffee. How dare you? You need to get out of that head. I am out of my head. I'm not. I never am. But I'm pretty sure she can't actually read my mind. She gives me a look, like she can totally read my mind. She wags a perfectly manicured finger at me. You try to put things in boxes and take them away. Same way you try to put words on feelings and put them in boxes and then get rid of them. Life does not work that way, Scarlet. Sit down and have some tea. I feel attacked. I haven't been here for more than a minute, and already my mother, who hasn't read one psychology book in her life, has analyzed me and completely dismissed my awesome coping mechanisms. This will not stand. This aggression will not stand. It's not that simple. I'm not projecting my own mental and emotional state onto my mother's belongings. I mean, yes, maybe in some way all this stuff drives me crazy because it looks like how the inside of my head feels. But it's not like every item in this house represents a thought about Dylan Brody that I want to put into a box and take to goodwill and be like, here, give them to someone who can actually use them because neither my mind nor my vagina can handle this right now. I mean, that's not what this is. This is about my mom and her emotional attachment to stuff she doesn't need. My mother moved here from a small town in China, for grad school. She has remained in the U.S. ever since because my father hasn't been able to go much longer than a day without seeing her, and they met during her first week of classes. She says she thought my dad was Steve McQueen when he walked over to say hello. She realized she was sorely mistaken as soon as he started asking if she'd like to go see E.T. with him that weekend and told her he had already seen it five times. They ended up seeing that movie together three times while it was still in the theaters, and got engaged two months later. A sigh. Your parents' love story always sounds so easy and simple compared to your own. Anyway, I wouldn't label her as a hoarder. The items she's collected ever since she met my dad have never quite become what anyone would consider disruptive clutter. She just gets attached to things. But she's very good at storing and hiding them, too in her house and in her mind. I inherited her thick, shiny hair and spatial awareness, but it would have been great if she'd also passed along that particular trait, as well as her ability to meet the love of her life and effortlessly stay with him forever. That would also have been nice. Did you eat lunch today, Scarlet? You sound hungry. Why are you so stressed, huh? Stay for dinner. I'm making your favorite noodles and stir-fry. I totally want noodles and stir-fry right now, damn it. We have to let the dogs out, and we need to get home so Noah can work on his science report. I raise my mom voice so my son can hear me. It's due tomorrow!
Yeah, yeah, he mutters. No, you both need to eat. You eat here. I make extra. You watch TV with the boys. Don't try to change the subject. Did you get any packing done today? You can't leave it all to the last minute. What difference does it make if we do it now or last minute? There's a Chinese saying. It's all the same whether you carry it in the front or on the back. It means who cares how you do something as long as it gets done. I truly love that my mother spouts Chinese proverbial wisdom when she's being totally irrational and difficult. Yes, there's an English saying. If I had a nickel for every time you told me that, I'd have as many nickels as you have things that should be given away. I go over to the display cabinet in the dining area. Each shelf is jammed full of salt and pepper shakers, mismatched china sets and serveware, gifts that have never been used. Why don't we go through this cabinet tonight? We'll focus on this right here. I pull out a charger plate that I know for a fact has never been used and get all Marie Kondo up in her face. Does this rattan charger plate bring you joy? She gives me another one of her looks, the one that tells me I'm not leaving this house with any of her belongings tonight. Or how about this? If you can tell me what a charger plate is used for, then you can keep it. She calmly takes the plate from me and places it back where it was in the cabinet. Scarlet, stop being so stubborn. Stop picking on me. I'm not picking on you. I'm trying to help you. And I'm trying not to obsess about Dylan Brody. Shut up. Ayya. That's the exclamation she makes when she's truly exasperated with me. I will pack up those boxes myself. When you come by next time, you can look through what's in them and decide if you want any of these things that I have been keeping for you. My only child. Decide if Noah and your future second husband and my future grandchildren would appreciate having them. If not, she shrugs, like it's no big deal. You can give them away to strangers. This is Mackenzie Cartwright, also known as the official voice of Kaylee Loring's Lady Parts. Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring is produced by Elysian Nightfall Studios and The Audio Flow. To learn more about your host, you can visit www.kayleeloring.com. Thank you for eargasming.